Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing the fanfic Drastically Redefining Protocol by Rage Proofrock. And that's it. Really, that's it. Welcome to episode 23, Drastically Redefining Protocol. I'm Alex, and I'm refreshing Twitter and being accessible for internet chats pretty much every waking hour. I'm Freya, and I am finally hanging all of the framed art in my new townhouse, (laughs) which is not all that new anymore. But it's a lot of art. Oh, so much art. I dropped so much money at the (laughs) framers. I'm Macy, and I have been cleaning my kitchen. Repeatedly. Uh, I might have dropped an egg earlier today. What do you want? Well, good job. Did you do that deliberately so you would have to clean the kitchen Listen, again? Listen, you can't, you can't prove nothing. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And those sure were a bunch of completely productive <laughs> things that we've been doing. Fear not, dear listeners, we're going to explain what we're procrastinating from because today we're talking about a quite... A well-known fic by a quite well-known author. Uh, but first, uh, let's take a couple minutes and talk about what we're reading, fellow serpents. Have we been reading anything? It's NaNoWriMo. Have we been reading anything? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I have. I have been reading. I have restarted, well, done, done a reread. I do more or less an annual reread of my favorite book trilogy of all time, which is the Regeneration Trilogy by Pat Barker which is about war poets and mental health in World War One, which is a whole host of really depressing things for my favorite book series in the world to be about. <laughs> but it's wonderful and I love it. So I almost finished the second book and I'll start the third soon. Uh, and I recently read an arc of a book that's going to be released next year, which I am going to annoy the other serpents by attempting to crowbar into this episode as a secondary tentpole, which they've never read. <laughs> And none of our listeners have ever read it, and no one... I'm just going to talk about it because it's relevant. The book in question is called Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. It's coming out in May of next year. I got my hands on an arc. It is a new adult rom-com that is a royal romance uh, and also a gay romance between Mm. the... A prince of England and the first son of the... Essentially the president and... First gentleman in America. It is amazing. It's beautifully written. It's incredibly tropey. The sex scenes are really good. And the crowning little jewel on top of this is that the person who wrote it clearly is a big Hamilton fan because there's a lot of Hamilton stuff and a lot of politics. It's very sort of liberal Obama era fantasy of what politics in America could be (laughs) like. But they also include large oh. epistolary sections where there's what? lots of letters to and from, and they quote from the letters of famous queer romances in history, including yeah. Hamilton and oh, Lawrence. Oh, so no. I hit that page of the book and was like, oh no, this is perfect. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. So oh, dear. I'll talk more about oh. that later. Yeah. How wonderful. Um, that, Macy. That does seem distressingly relevant. Yeah. <laughs> So I I have been reading. Um, I have this superstition slash rule slash like writing productivity thing where when I'm doing NaNoWriMo, I don't read until I've done my word count for the day. 
which is like a slightly less self-destructive bribe than when I first did it, when I wouldn't let myself eat dinner until I was done with word count. Honey, yeah, don't do that, sweetie. I recognize that that is not a good tactic and I am learning. Anyway, um, so I accidentally in the past two weeks maybe read two novel length hockey related fanfics. Okay. Yes. Listen, friends. Specifically, one of them is a delightful Check, Please OT3 fic. So I've already attempted to get Freya to read it because it has skating. I will definitely read it. It's a magic AU and there are like love-based curses. It's, I think it's a practical magic is the film that it's an AU of like merged with Check, Please. Check, Please being a webcomic about gay hockey boys. It's very good. It's called Sundown Starts at Half Past Six. And the other one, which I have way less of an excuse for, was a 140,000 word long um, hockey RPF fic in which two of the Caps hockey team, I think, you call it a team? Do you call it a team when it's hockey? We don't know anything about sports ball. Yes, it's a team. The hockey, the hockey unit. (laughs) The hockey unit. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's a team. Freya is our designated sports snake. Me, uh, this is great. The only sports I know are ice skating related sports, but great. Yes, it's called a team. Continue. Wait, I have a question for Freya as our de- designated sports snack. Uh, does does hockey involve sports balls? No, it involves sports circles. Sports circles. Oh, sports circles. Okay. <laughs> flattened, yep. flattened sports circles. It, it's when you take 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 a sports ball and step on it, and it goes. Oh, I see. Flip. I see. That makes sense. Please continue, yes. Macy. Anyway. This is a story about a gay sports bro who goes on The Bachelor to be the first ever gay bachelor and ends up marrying his teammate anyway because this is hockey fanfic. That's how that goes. And I'm a disaster. And yes. If you need some more, like, terrible novel-length hockey disaster fanfic, you can hit me up later. Yes. And how long was this fic, Macy? It's only 140,000 words. That's like oh, a decent fantasy my. novel. Yeah. That's Thanks. <laughs> it's not Freeport, okay? All right, all right. I have this feeling that Macy made us read Freeport so that for the rest of our lives, she can be like, well, it's not Freeport. <laughs> it's not Freeport. <laughs> it's not that long. Don't tactical. try me because I will start my like campaign for an Embers episode. And you two will murder me. There's two of us and one of you. There are two of us. That's a trap. Because if we ever read that, we'll never have any excuse not to read anything ever again. There will be no peace (laughs) in our lives. Listen, there is no peace in your life. You have a cat. Well, that's true. (laughs) Alex, what have you been reading? I have not been reading much of anything because it's NaNoWriMo. And as I may have mentioned last episode, I'm not doing normal NaNoWriMo. I'm doing double NaNoWriMo, which means that I'm going for 100,000 words this month instead of 50,000. I have been having less time than anyone else. Uh, So I just today reread Dangerous If Unbound by Astolat and told myself that it was for research. Uh Uh, Earlier in the week, I was reading a little bit more Venom fanfic, also for quote unquote research. It seems to like the fandom is is starting to develop a little bit. Like I went downstairs, I went downstairs a couple days ago, and my roommate was sitting at the dining room table, uh, and my roommate was like, "Alex, I have great news." And I was like, "Oh!" And my roommate said, "The Venom fandom is, you know, evolving. They're they're getting past baby's first tentacle porn." And I was like, "Hey, that's great!" And then my roommate said, "Do you want some bread?" And I said, "I do want some bread. Thank you." 
that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> I'm waiting for the Venom fandom to reach peak, where someone starts writing, you know, the mo- the one that becomes the the most famous, yeah. the most, you have to read this one, and then I'll just read that one, well, and then I'll Astolat be done. did post a fan vid of Venom, oh, no. like, oh, a no, few no, weeks no, no, no. ago. Well, I've noticed that Dira Sudas has started writing oh, in this no, fandom. no, no, no which is great for me. Oh. So I'll probably just wait a little while and then just devour everything. Sure, sure. Her. I mean, someone's <sighs> going to have something eventually. It's catnip. Let me know when something breaks 25,000 words. <laughs> yes, Macy. <laughs> She's like, I don't get out of bed for less than, less than 25,000 words. <laughs> I can read less than 25,000 words. I can read on my phone in bed. So that's literally true. That's adorable. God. Okay. Uh, so it is NaNoWriMo. Uh, shall we, before we move on to the episode, shall we spend a moment talking about how NaNoWriMo is going for yes, all of us? Yes, I think first I'm going to mention to our darling listeners, what is NaNoWriMo? I think we talked about this last Did episode. Did we do this already? So, okay, then I will say instead, hello, listeners. Hello. I apologize in advance for everything in this episode. Um, your serpents are operating at, shall we say, reduced capacity. Yeah, true. <laughs> Apart from Freya, who is always elegant. Um, Freya's also writing slightly fewer words than you two. Well, slightly fewer than Macy. Quite a lot fewer than Alex. Oh, yes. We have (laughs) also in our Slack decided that Alex is now forthwith also known as Spiders. Spiders Alex. Yes. That's an outlier. Should not be counted. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's accurate on a number of levels. So, yes. um, NaNoWriMo. I am, as usual, precisely on word count for the day that I'm supposed to be on. I have not gone more than 800 words below or above the precise word count of the day I'm meant to be on because I am turtle macy. Slow and steady. I think if you're reaching word count, you're not exactly turtling. Well, no, I mean, I'm referring specifically to the the hare and the Mm. turtle, right? Right, right, because you are doing like... Your your output is much more, I think, consistent than mine because I am definitely more (laughs) of a sprinter than you are like I am designed to write a whole lot in a short space of time rather than sustained small amounts of output a little bit every day yeah you're basically you are the hare in the story except someone has replaced the hare with the Duracell bunny because you are writing a hundred (laughs) thousand words yeah last year last year I did a writing challenge for myself this year was much more of an editing year so I did not uh do that uh but last year I challenged myself to end the year with a 1,000 word per day average. Uh, And I did, but it was really hard. Uh, Like halfway through the year, I like sat down and reevaluated how I was calculating that and like gave myself sick days and gave myself travel days and gave myself uh, like I didn't count any Saturday because I uh, work a 12 hour shift on Saturdays. Which I think is is healthy and it's good to treat yourself like in in an industry like this where you are your own boss, you should still be ethical to your employee. <laughs> How about you, Freya? How's your month gone? My month has gone quite well so far because I finished the first draft of my second novel. Oh, yay! Oh, I'm so happy. I'm wearing my reward necklace that I bought for myself Ooh. today. I have a tradition, a, a two book tradition of buying myself a thematically appropriate necklace when I finished a first draft of something. So I bought myself a little necklace of basically sort of a thick hedge vine thing to celebrate the hedge that almost kills my main characters. So that's good. And (laughs) having finished that in the first 10 days or so of the month, I then plunged on to my next book, which is a totally new project. 
but I have realized I hadn't quite gotten to the outlining point that I want to be in order to produce mm. 1,700 words a day. Mm. So I've readjusted sure. my personal nano goal to 1,000 words a day for the rest of the month, uh, along with a bit of time spent doing some more of the outlining and filling in some of the gaps. And I also have to do a very quick and dirty edit of the book I just finished to send it off to you two and some other crit partners and also my agent. So, yeah, hey. I'm pl plugging along. Not going to be writing 50,000 words and not going to be writing 50,000 words of a new project, but I am happy with my personal goals. Yeah, that's still a really respectable out output, though. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and like I say, oh, yes, I'm doing double nano. I'm doing 100,000 words a year. That's because I have done NaNoWriMo. For, just like for any listeners who may be feeling self-conscious about their word count, please don't be. Because the whole point of NaNoWriMo is to end the month with more words than you had when you started. So any amount of words is good words. And I've been doing nano for 15 years. And... It's sort of like running a marathon, for, at least for me. Like once you get good at running a mile, then you start running two right. miles. And once you get good at running two miles, then you start pushing yourself a little further. And 50,000 words is fairly easy and accessible for me. 100,000 words is like stretching my muscles a little bit. Uh, if you come back to us next year and say that you are going to run three miles, by which I mean write 300,000 words, Macy and I may have a talk with your employee association. <laughs> about taking uh, taking care of yourself. That's fair. I would probably go up to 150 before I went up to 200, though. That's fair. Because 200 is a big jump. Well, and I mean, I so this is my 11th NaNoWriMo, and I am doing a full-time typing job all day. Um, so I know from history that I can do 60,000 in a month. That's not a problem. But then I, write, then I break my wrists. We don't like that. We don't like that. So Macy is being kind to Macy and capping my word count. Good. Thank you for being Good. kind to Macy. It's very important to me. All right. Now, shall we episode? Yes, let's let's episode. So listeners, we are going to be doing a little bit of a different episode to normal today because we are three Slytherin serpents who are conscious of our disaster status. And so we decided that we were not going to attempt to read three tent poles and be intelligent and witty around a theme. For mm -hmm. once, mm -hmm. we were going to pick a single fic. Um, that we all enjoyed and kind of dig pretty deep into that instead. And yes. this week's fic is... Drastically Redefining Protocol by Rage yes. Proofrock. Uh, Macy, do you want to tell us a little bit about the fic? Give us a rundown of it for the listeners who may not have read it before. I would love to do this a little bit interactively, which is to say... Okay. Alex, Freya, tell me what you remember of Merlin. So I remember, oh my God, let me tell you what I remember of Merlin. My oh good, most, excellent. I have stories as well. My most be fun. vivid memory of watching Merlin. Uh, so I watched Merlin when I was pretty deep in the Society for Creative Anachronism, which oh means that I oh had an active knowledge of, of the laws of heraldry that, that was oh fairly... God that I was fairly oh, passionate no. about. And so I watched like the first, I don't know, five minutes of Merlin and went, what the fuck is this shit? There's Lancelot has, okay, I can tell you, I haven't seen Merlin in probably like 10 years. And I can tell you what Lancelot's coat of arms is because that's how much it traumatized me. It is a blue field with a red castle tower, which defies... <laughs> 
the biggest law of heraldry, which is that you can't have a color on a co- color and you can't have a medal on a medal. So you, if it's blue, then the castle tower has to be either yellow or white because that's silver and gold. <sighs> so I just, yeah, Merlin was a trash fire. My God. My one line summary, though, of what Merlin the TV show, which is what we're talking about, is, is um, it's Sweet Valley Camelot. <laughs> Macy, I was taking a drink of tea at the time that you said that. It almost came out my nose. Did you notice how carefully I timed that? God damn it. (laughs) Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Damn it. Freya, what are your stories about this trash show? See, I only ever watched the first mm, season and a half, maybe even the first season of Merlin, because I was really active in the fandom during that first season coming out when everyone was you know the show was really not taking itself seriously everyone felt kind of fond about how terrible the cgi was and how like thin the plots were and it was just Mm. this kind of very charming earnest retelling with a couple of you know young young, hot male leads so fandom went hello (laughs) and and leapt at it and i remember vividly because i did a bit of writing in this fandom but i also Remember, after the summer after it finished airing, well, summer for me, so December, was the um, summer after I finished my first year of medical school. And I went on a long, long trip around Europe with my best friend. And I remember vividly us being in a youth hostel in, I think, Catania in Sicily. And I was exceedingly drunk because they had a two-for-one special on cocktails. Oh, no. And my friend doesn't drink. And they just brought me two enormous margaritas, and I had to sort of drink them both quite fast. You had so to. Did. You had and to so drink I was those two margaritas. Like, you were forced. Probably upside down on the couch in this youth hostel <laughs> in Sicily, and Merlin came on dubbed in Italian okay. on, on the TV at the hostel, and we were watching it trying to work out how much of the episode we could remember to try and work out what they were saying. And this was about the time, actually, that Drastically Redefining Protocol was being posted. Mm. Like, we were in these youth hostels in Europe trying to frantically refresh our emails and Italian a Czech keyboard at some point in Prague trying oh to say is the next is the next chapter up yet because it was one of those few things that we that the entire fandom was following along with mm. so I have very clear sort of place and time memories associated to this fic so that's the other thing is that this fic was kind of some fandoms there's a moment and there's like the fix that define a fandom yeah. right yeah. Mm. and like for um, for Stargate Atlantis, uh, it's frequently written by the victors or um, one of the other, like Ladies' Night at the Boom Boom Room, which nobody but me remembers. Um, hey, that is relevant. It was written by Prue. <laughs> I, that's the problem is it's always Prue. It's always Prue. Oh, like so many of the fandom defining ones in my head are Prue. It's like Astolat comes in and like creates a fandom for like half an hour by herself and it's amazing and wonderful, and then she just kind of wanders off again. But Prue comes in and like sits down in the middle of a big blossoming of other people in a fandom, and is like, I'm just going to summarize and like epitomize this entire experience for all of you. Here is the Yuri has anxiety giant Yuri on ice pick. Yeah, she did it for Inception as well. Yes, and it's fascinating, but... I I was just going to say, like, I have been sort of peripherally aware of Prue as a fanfic author for 
probably over 10 years now because I first became aware of her when I was in the Prince of Tennis fandom in like 2007. Alex, can I make you feel old? Yes. Drastically redefining protocol was nine years ago. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Hold on, so wait, listeners... wait, wait, 2007. 2009, isn't it? That's when it was IO3. No, least. no, no, I'm talking, I'm talking about when I was in, in Prince of Tennis fandom hell, which was 2006, 2007, which was like yeah. 12, 11, 12 years ago. Okay, all yeah. right, all right, yeah. I can yeah. deal with that. Yeah. That's not much more than 10 years. If it had been 15 years, we would have had problems. Darling listeners, shall we tell you what the fic is? Yes. <laughs> so Drastically Redefining Protocol is a Merlin Arthur modern day AU in which Merlin is a fumbling disaster of a medical student, or I guess a medical uh, He's a doctor. Resident. He's a junior doctor. He's a resident, right? Uh, it's resident, what they call yeah. foundation year, I think, in the yeah. UK. It uh, probably would be the equivalent of what you would call internship or first year of... I don't know. The US in, is weird. In the US, we would call it a resident. So he, he's graduated, he's working in hospitals, actually being a doctor, but still learning things. So Merlin is a medical doctor and Arthur is the Prince of England with his father, King Giles. Right. Slash Uther. Yeah, but we all call I him mean, King I Giles. I can't call him anything but Giles. I'm sorry. It's Rob, it's what, it's Anthony Stewart head. Every time I look at him, I'm like, oh, look, somebody made Giles King. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. King Giles, King Giles, as he will henceforth be known. And it is... An experience. It is an experience. Uh, so the first thing that we sort of wanted to talk about was drastically redefining uh, protocol as a romance novel. There's so many romance novels that involve that sort of commoner, <laughs> falls in love with a royal kind of plot thing. Why yeah. do are there so many of them and why do we love them so much? Like, why do we want to fuck royals so bad? Like, was it, what is I it about a prince's dick that you just want to get on it? You do not want to see the face I am making right now, listeners, because <laughs> nope. No, it's, it's... Nope. I think it's cute, because nope. I love Maisie, nope. but... It's, nope. It's not cute. Not cute, nope. no. I mean, it falls into that category of romance tropes that are just to do with differences in status and being elevated by your partner's status. I mean, it's why there are 50 bazillion dukes in Regency romances, because it's <laughs> the highest you can get without being royalty. It's why there's a lot of royalty romance. It's why there's billionaire romances. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's all about this idea of a big gap in terms of status, which can be played with really effectively in romances. It doesn't have to be played entirely tropey. You can really dig into what, what are the implications of having a large status gap. But it's just such a popular story of the royalty and the commoner. And even you know, those of us who are not particularly into the idea of royalty, those of us in the Commonwealth who are just like, it's fine. I wish we didn't have to give them any money, but whatever. <laughs> they don't have any you know, big impact on my life, so they can exist, I suppose. There's something <laughs> about that commoner marries a royal thing that just really digs into the fairy tale id when it comes to romance. I think it's also a little bit of a fantasy because like if you marry a billionaire or a prince like the idea the implication is that you won't have to worry about anything ever again because mm -hmm. like you will attain this level of privilege through their privilege and then you can like have all your vacations in Tahiti for six months out of the year and never worry about anything again yes Macy which is fascinating because if you look at the actual way that marrying across class boundaries in British society works 
you can't change class by marrying up. Like you will not successfully manage to change the status markers. Um, your children will be. Mm-hmm. Yes. Your children can be raised as the next class up. And in a way, that's what the win is. Um, but I also think that marrying across a status boundary is humans like to have scorecards. Yeah. Humans like to know that we've won, be that with money or with other markers. And marrying someone so far above yourself is the ultimate like romantic triumph if you're looking at it as like a scoring points game. Well, it's also in modern day times, it's to do with the cult of celebrity. Mm-hmm. These sort of wives and girlfriends. And if you date somebody famous, then yes, that's a, it's a scorecard thing. And it's not necessarily a class thing. If you think about sort of, you know, famous sports people, actors, models, people who there's still a fantasy around dating someone who is famous. And these stories very commonly try to dig their heels into the, oh, well, that's what would be so bad about it. You know, this this common person doesn't want to be famous. They don't want their time in the spotlight. But there's this sort of sly wink being made to the fact that everybody does want a little bit to have that edge of celebrity. Mm. I'm going to not sing everybody wants to go to Hollywood because that would be mean. Mm. But um, I was actually, you made me think of um, the movie Notting Hill. I haven't seen it. Yes. Oh, you, Alex, you would enjoy it, I think. Um, it's a charmingly scruffy Hugh Grant as a bookshop owner accidentally courting and successfully winning a very famous actress. Oh, that is cute. Yes, it has all the tropes of a royalty romance. It, it does. It's the modern day equivalent, basically. I will check that out. That does sound cute. It's it's very English. It's a lot of fun. It's got some really good <laughs> very, very English. side characters. Hugh Grant is being Hugh Grant. Julia Roberts is lovely. As usual. It's a nice, it's a nice rom-com. Okay. And I think that uh, DRP, I'm sorry, I can't keep saying drastically redefining the protocol because every time I do, I try to mispronounce at least one of the syllables. And also I can't pronounce the letter R to start with. So like, I give up. DRP has a lot of fun, like ducking in and out of shop fronts to hide from paparazzi. Mm. And I'm going to, oh, the thing we forgot to mention, um, Merlin in this fic, does have magic because I guess Prue was just like, I like that bit. I'm going to keep it. So I that was an interesting choice because yes. you don't need it. You don't need it. For what this story is, but having it there get made for a couple of in- really good plot points. Mm-hmm. I, I think that um, one of the things that this entire story hinges around, which was really well done, is there's a moment in the middle of it where Merlin as a young doctor has just finished a round on the pediatrics oncology ward and one of his little patients is dying and he manages to hook his magic up to her heart and get it going again. But every time he falls asleep, she dies. And I don't think that, and basically this ends up with Arthur having to come back and tell him, you know, you can't do this forever. You need to let her go. And I don't know how that would have worked in quite the same way if there wasn't magic. I could see it being like, him being the one to physically resuscitate her every time, but then like any doctor could do that. Like it didn't need to be him right. that way. I'm not sure how you would have structured that. Thinking about it, when I say I didn't need it, I think that moment in particular and Merlin's magic in general plays an interesting part in terms of rectifying the difference in power because that is a that I was is a just plot about point. to say the same that thing. That is a plot point about knowing the limits of your power and knowing when to stop right. and knowing what you can do and what you should do. 
which when it comes to political power or, you know, celebrity power is what, which is what Arthur has, there is an undercurrent of that through the story in like, his narrative. And so giving that magic power to Merlin means that he gets brought up not quite to the same level, but he has a similar inner, inner conflict around power and its use. And that makes them mirrors mm. and it makes the romance more interesting. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because they are peers. And it means that Merlin can do something for Arthur in terms of shielding him occasionally from the parts of his life that he doesn't find all that pleasant. Like he can put an, a disguise charm or a camouflage charm on Arthur and then they can go out in public mm -hmm. and just be normal people for a day. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is, I think, another common trope in, like, celebrity romance. Yeah, going to be a normal person. And royalty romances, I haven't read very many of them, but in terms of the tropes, very commonly they will rely on external conflict predominantly. And if you think about DRP as a romance novel, if you think of romance novel tropes having both external com uh, conflict but also internal conflict, the internal conflict in DRP is fairly non-existent. If you look at the trajectory of the romance, they meet, they have, you know, they meet cute in the hospital uh, cupboard or on call room or whatever it is <laughs> where Merlin has been shut away to chain smoke in case he jumps Arthur while Arthur is touring the hospital. <laughs> they, you know, have flirty emails and texts. They meet up in person. They kiss very quickly. They have sex fairly quickly. And mm -hmm. almost as soon as they've had sex, both of them have realize that their feelings are really strong and it just kind of goes from there. Mm -hmm. There are a right. lot of external complications, but in terms of their feelings towards one another, it doesn't have the romance beats of, you know, constantly doubting your feelings or uh, having the relationship hit on some inner you know, wounds, having a dark moment of right. breakup and misunderstanding. That doesn't happen. Everything that happens to them is external, but the love itself, the romance itself the way they feel about each other starts in one place, goes for another. It's very, very simple. Yeah. There's one opportunity which Prue chose not to, to go along that path where Arthur goes to like Denmark or the Amsterdam or something. I don't remember where he went to. Uh, and Denmark. he has a small fling with a girl. And it's before his relationship with Merlin is fully established, but he is having some secret feelings for Merlin. And he goes and he has a brief fling with some random girl. And that could have been a source of internal conflict in their relationship had it gone any further than that. And had Merlin ever found out about it. Well, one thing I did somewhat wonder when I was reading this, uh, rereading this just now, was whether Prue kind of rushed the later half. Because they kind mm. of skim through an entire year in about 4,000 words. Yeah. And it did end at like 46,000 words. So I kind of wondered if maybe that was like, there was going to be some more stuff, but she was like, no, let's just keep going. That's a possibility. Like a lot of fanfic, the joy is in the getting together. Like a lot of fanfic is about mm. getting together romance stories. And because there was right. that lack of internal conflict in the romance, once they were together and they'd committed and they were in love, there wasn't that much of the character story to tell. There was a bit. And that's mm. when you get into the things about, it's a story about the royalty structure, but... I think that's why that second half didn't think. And I'm thinking about, this is where I'm going to bring in red, white, and royal blue, which <laughs> has the royalty romance tropes, but that status thing is much, much messier because both of them are, are high status children of political figures. And so there's a lot of external reasons why them being together is a bad idea, and that's mm -hmm. hugely explored. 
Um, and there are certainly internal reasons as well. Like the, uh, um, Casey McQuiston does an incredibly good job at combining external and internal sources of conflict mm-hmm. while she's sketching out this romance. But you remove that sense of commoner marrying royalty, even though that technically is what's happening. And it, you know, if you think about the modern day Harry and Meghan romance, it's English right. royalty marries American celebrity. And that's more or less what happens in Red, White and Royal Blue, but because they're both high up people, but so they're children mm-hmm. of high up political figures who have been raised with certain expectations and ambitions in their own right in the sphere of politics. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of that stuff to do with someone marrying someone, raising your, your status and increasing your privilege. That's not quite the same as in other royalty romances. Interesting. Freya has put a note here on the dot points, which I am dying to hear about. Freya has to tell you the story of her agent being extremely vehement about Princess Diaries 2 over the phone. What does that mean? Tell us about that. <laughs> so Princess Diaries. And how, and how it is relevant to DRP also. <laughs> okay. So The Princess Diaries is not a royalty romance story. It is actually a Ruritanian story. Um, do you guys know what the Ruritanian trope is? Vaguely, but our listeners might not. It's that you are suddenly a... a, a royal or noble of a small kingdom you've never heard of congratulations yes or you for so or because of hijinks you go you are identical to so the traditional Ruritanian novel is one where you are weirdly a descendant of some far-off king kingdoms person and you are identical in appearance to the current ruler and you go there and shenanigans ensue <laughs> uh, so that's the traditional Ruritanian which is um zender Freya, can yeah. you- can you have it with uh, cross-dressing? Of course you can. You can have anything. It's a very famous trope. Um, and I think we talked very briefly about uh, K.J. Charles's Henchman of Zender, where the Prisoner of Zender was the mm-hmm. um, the pulp novel, was a very famous inventor of the Ruritanian trope. And Princess Diaries is a Ruritanian story. But Princess Diaries 2, the movie. So we're talking movies here. I haven't read any of the um, Meg Cabot books is very much a tropey romance. And I had never seen it. I'd seen first Princess Diaries, I hadn't really read the second. And this came up when I was having a conversation about romance tropes with my agent Diana on the phone. And she made a very indignant, indignant sound because she was trying to explain (laughs) something to me about the way that this romance trope had worked because it's to do with, you know, she's going to be queen soon and there's this other person who's got a claim to the throne and his job is to sort of get in and make her fall in love with him so that he can get all of her secrets and he's played by Chris Pine and of course they fall in love and like (laughs) push each other into fountains it's delightful so I had to go away on orders of my agent and watch it immediately and come back and tell her that she had been correct in how amazing it was we spend a lot of time telling our agents that they were correct. It's it's very true. It's very much about that trappings of royalty. It's got all the, the makeovers and the, you know, using your power for good and what do you you know what 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 sort of things do you want to change? Well, and I mean that's kind of what I wanted to talk about um, on DRP as a commentary on royalty and like royalty in fiction is it has all of this like getting lost down the corridors of Buckingham Palace and falling in and out of nightclubs. Uh, There's certain tropes that are very familiar to... There's like a whole genre of that type of story, right? I feel like there aren't a ton of other fanfics that are like the royalty AU, but there are some. 
I'm having a no, because usually it's going the other way around. Usually, like the canon is about royals, and then the fic is like a coffee shop AU where they're all baristas. <laughs> no, there's a. Who I think there is a. Shops? I'd say there's a very strong element of royalty AUs for arranged marriage, as a trope. Mm, like you see true, a lot of true. royalty yes. AUs where you do a, where there's the whole point of them being royalty is that they have been set up and have to get married for alliance plot shenanigan reasons. Weren't there? I don't remember if it was Astolat or not, but there were definitely some, like, American Idol, um, what's his name, the fabulous one and the small one. From what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- Adam, Adam, Adam Lambert and Chris Allen. You may there be thinking of Astolat's the- Regency AU for those two, which is one of my favorite stories of all time. Yes, that one. <laughs> which is, oh no, I have to marry you because you have lots of money and I have a title. <laughs> Oh no, now we're oh, no. So listeners, th- this is the thing that I feel the need to inform you, which is that all three of the serpents at this very moment are working on books about fake marriage. That's true. Well, technically mine's about actual real marriage, uh, or accidentally, accidentally I mean, so real married, uh, and they have to keep it secret, they, but you know. Mine's there's about a, a there's secret this brief, like, engagement that becomes not secret, that becomes ritual sex on an island. Wonderful. There's <laughs> marriage involved. <laughs> Whereas mine is just two idiot um, queer women who are just like, this will get me a title and this will get me magical status. Sure, I'll marry yeah. you. And then they wife the heck out of each other and then they fall Yeah, you're playing your fake married fairly straight. And Freya and I are I doing mean, more variations on it. I, I'm fa- playing it fairly straight so that I can fit in all the poisoning mm-hmm. and the magical bioterrorism. Right. That's very, very important. Yeah. It's, I mean, who doesn't love a good bit of magical bioterrorism in the morning? I definitely do. The, the arranged marriage royalty trope is a different one to the royalty slash commoner trope. Do we want to talk about some of the other tropes that DRP plays with? So one that jumps out at me is one of my favorite tropes, which is, oh no, there's only one bed, uh, which is played relatively straight, but also with a surprising lack of drama. Um, mm-hmm. There's a, a plot point in DRP where... Uh, Arthur goes to Merlin's flat to return something that uh, Merlin lost. Was it the lighter, I think? Yeah, Yeah. it was the lighter, which I didn't realize until this reread was a token from Merlin's dead boyfriend. Yes, Mm. and also an Excalibur symbol. Of course. Uh, So he goes to Merlin's flat to return this lighter, and the paparazzi find out that he's there and surround the flat, and Arthur has to stay there all night. Oh no, oh no, there's only one bed. So they have a a brief bicker fest about who's going to take the floor and who's going to take the bed, and of course they both end up in the bed. And then in the morning, they wake up and they make out. I would have liked, I think I personally, just like my personal preference is that I think I would have liked to see a little bit more drama and angst. You like your boys to suffer. And that's what I was saying. This is a fairly angst-free, except in small doses. So it's got that, as you said, Macy, that uh, episode where Merlin is constantly, is unable to sleep because he's trying to keep someone alive. And there's a lot of angst around that that leads into a very hurt comfort kind of trope where Arthur runs away from his responsibilities and rushes to Merlin's side and helps him through it and then more or less nurses him back to coherence. Very classic. There is another trope that this fic plays very straight um, that I actually really kind of love, which is maybe weird, but that's the like, oh no, reporters have found out and now you have to come out. Mm. What do you love about it? I honestly sometimes get a little bit tired 
of fics where hmm, it is nice to have fics where being queer is totally fine and not a struggle and not a worry at mm. all but it's also nice to have fics that kind of address some of the ways that it sometimes is hard sure right where it has real consequences um one of the things that i realized when i've been binging hockey fic for a while is that hockey fandom is one of the few that does this consistently that like has coming out storylines as one of its main backbone tropes because of course as professional athletes it has a big influence on whether you will get to keep doing the job that you love if your team won't sign you because you're out and you're outed hmm. i find it interesting that that fandom's done that it's moved from you know from you know 20 years ago where a lot of the stories from any fandom were about the coming out or the questioning your sexuality and, and, and now in today's society where in a lot of spheres of society that's less mm-hmm. of an issue fandom is still interested in telling those stories and so it does actually find those spheres places like hereditary right. royalty where it's all about bloodlines and heirs or yeah very heterocentric homophobic very macho uh, spheres of modern day society like professional sports where this whole identity and coming out issue is still a story that's got teeth. And I wonder if that's those of us who are queer processing our life experiences a little bit, which is, you know, a lot of the times you hear this narrative that, oh, fanfic is is all about straight women appropriating gay men. Like, well, that happens. Queer women exist too and write yes. fanfiction. <laughs> queer women exist. Yeah, well, like, I can't. I do not know very many straight women who are deeply involved in fan fiction. I think you're absolutely right, Macy. I think it is a lot. The reason that story is being told still is because life is not easy for queer people. Right. Still. Still. And we have to have ways of processing those stories. Wasn't this episode going to be like funny and jokey and like our fuck around, like being hilarious episode? (laughs) Listen, friendo. Funny how this turns out sometimes. I'm well, just saying. This this fic is a little bit like that. This fic is full of like boys yeah. being idiots. This fic feels very much like early early two thousands, and I wanted to talk a little bit in the vein of being queer and femme about Katie McGrath. Oh my god, yes, I'm let, let's I'm ninety five percent straight, and I want to talk about Katie McGrath. Please, <laughs> let's talk about Katie McGrath. So, like, Freya posted something on Tumblr. (laughs) Look, Freya has friends on Tumblr who are watching Supergirl and posting a lot of pictures of Katie McGrath in her Lena Luthor incarnation. Yes, she's jet. She just wears clothes so well. She does. She's so beautiful. She's She's just like. This is the actress who played Morgana in Merlin. Yes. yes. And that's actually something I wanted to talk about a little bit about the Merlin fandom in general, is that Merlin is one of the few fandoms that had a pretty strong femslash pairing. Yeah. Yes. And that was the Gwen Morgana pairing, at least for season one. I somewhat noped out a little bit when it started being the other femslash pairing in that fandom, because that one was the half-sisters. I never got uh, past season one. So. Yeah, I don't think that I got far enough to meet them. I don't Was remember that them. Morgays, something? Morgays, yes. But in season one, so um, Katie McGrath plays Morgana, who in Arthurian Legends is not the character that we get in Sweet Valley Camelot. No. Um, no. But in <laughs> Sweet Valley Camelot, Morgana is Arthur's half sister who was raised by 
their father oh not half no, sister. she's like, not i think they're sort of like she's vaguely, cousin? vaguely cousins-ish something she's she's uther's ward she's she's uther's ward yeah yes there we go that's why i always get confused anyway she is very pale and dark haired and very like welsh looking <sighs> she looks like she's made of porcelain and she has these eyebrows that make me want to die <laughs> and she she looks she looks like a tolkien elf yes just like as a human being that that is how she looks and then they have Guinevere, Arthur's fated queen, who in this was cast as, what's the actress's name? Angel... Colby. Angel Colby, who is gorgeous, but much more along the like, lines of being like cute. Yes. And is also of uh, British of African origins and was cast strangely as a servant girl in the show. Yeah, I remember being a little bit weirded out by that too. It was very strange. I think it's because they wanted to do this particular narrative they wanted to do the commoner king ah uh, yes romance. the the problem was that they put her as morgana's maid mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then everybody's like they're bathing. and then there were like bathing scenes yeah. and lots of putting on of dresses and like delicately doing one another's hair <laughs> and it's a good ship i admit it it's a good ship but in in this fic, in DRP, we have Gwen as Merlin's exceedingly sensible best friend, keeping him from like med studenting himself into an early grave, as med students require, um, is my understanding. But also <laughs> shamelessly encouraging his enormous crush on Arthur. That is true. And then we have Morgana being exceedingly pointy and dramatic all over the castle at all times, which is also... I, I love her, and character. I think, like... I'm not sure if I'm having like some gay feelings right now, which is possible. Sometimes gay feelings just happen to you. But also like I kinda wanna be her. Like I could see you wanting to be Mamana. I just wanna be her real bad. <laughs> Sorry, continue. <sighs> uh... <laughs> anyway, Sorry. Um yes, there are also girls in this fic. They are not slashed with one another, but they are delightful. I would have loved to there be for there to be even more of them, but they at least exist, yes. which is nice. I like ladies being able to exist. Yeah, and it is good to see like supportive women characters in fan fiction too, because a lot of times we a lot of times fandom drops the the lady characters. And that I think mm-hmm. is more like or at least I want to put it more on canon rather than fandom because if can like when canon provides us with compelling female characters we will take them and we will run with them but so often the canon just doesn't bother doing that and so is it really any surprise that the the fandom goes well that character doesn't make my heart sing if she did then maybe i'd be interested let's spend time on the the characters that do get a fully realized developed personality yeah that is fair but i did want to go back a little bit to me making jokes about med students and young doctors and hey freya do you have any feelings about the medicine in this fic well very sensibly prue did not do an enormous amount of actual medicine it's actually more about the lifestyle of being a junior doctor which 
from the sounds of things in the UK is absolutely hellish. Like there's been a lot of things to do with the yes. NHS and junior doctors going on strike and uh, complaints about their working conditions and pay. Mm-hmm. In Australia, for me especially, I think there was a huge push uh, in the years before I was a junior doctor around safe working hours and staffing juniors appropriately so that nobody has to be on call for an entire weekend like my parents were when they went through medical training. Wait, hang on, pause. Both your parents were doctors? Both my parents are doctors. This suddenly explains a lot about Freya. I was going to say. I Continue. Okay. Like we just got, we just got <laughs> like a not very enormously deep uncommon. Like I think uh, it's very... dynasties, Freya. Dynasties. dynasties. Yes, I think I, I was fighting this narrative through most of my childhood, saying no, I'm going to be an astrophysicist or a planetary geochemist or something, and then I hit the age of twenty and had a minor existential crisis and decided to go to medical school. Anyway, my dad was a doctor. See, Alex well, a psychiatrist, a... but yeah. Oh, some like, people are just doctors. Some people are just doctors. Are just doctors. Can't hold that, it against that's them. okay. <laughs> anyway, everyone's dad went to medical school. Is the story of this podcast? <laughs> I refuse. I am no. Uh, there are too many fluids. Mm. I am out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think oh, there is obviously the, the medicine and the lifestyle of doctoring in this is played both upping the amount of sort of stress and drama of it, but also making it more about oh you know there's the, the cute children and things like that but right. i think yeah very i think if Prue had decided to go down a route of trying to dig into the actual medicine then that would have just been pointless but i did think it was interesting that yeah merlin's magic i mean in the show does not really have a whole lot of rules around it like there's just he's he's a bit magic he does some magic his magic can be as powerful as is necessary for the plot right right, uh, right. and in this it seems sensibly i think a lot quieter. They keep talking about Merlin as being a little bit magic. And the biggest thing he actually manages to do is keep somebody alive. And there's huge amounts of implications around that that is just not a story that this fanfic is interested in telling mm-hmm. about the right. idea of are there other people with these powers? Right. You know, what happens It's like to a them? joke about him being like a fairy child at one point. But... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's one moment when Morgana has a bit of a magical moment. Yes. And there's the jokes that Arthur makes to her about like prophecies and shit. Yes. What was the moment that she had? Did I miss that in the reading? It was uh, her eyes go kind of silvery and she says something. I don't remember quite what it was. Uh, maybe Macy can find it if we want to quote it. Uh, but the first appearance of Morgana, actually the first mention of Morgana is Arthur thinking about how like, oh, if Morgana finds out that someone named Merlin handed me a lighter with a sword on it, she's going to come in and start shrieking about prophecies. There's also a bit a little bit later on where there's he gives like three examples of Morgana knowing things that she couldn't know, just like mm-hmm. suddenly realizing them. Yeah. Okay, I think I think that kind of just like went over my head because I was just putting it as part of Morgana is amazing. Morgana is so amazing. <laughs> I mean, mood. Mood. Yeah. Huge yeah, mood. She is. Biggest mood. Yes. So yeah, like I don't think there's a lot to talk about with, with medicines per se, but what I did want to do was pull this back a little bit to one of the other tropes or literary conceits that we have talked about on the podcast, uh, which is the idea of stories that are brought together with kind of external sources and different narrators because this story has a great integration of social media that was current at the time for example the live, <laughs> journal. live journal oh no they didn't um oh, and the oh what was it is it like the per- 
Perez. Perez Hilton. Yep. Yeah, that Perez dude. Hilton. That dude. Gossip site and all the things that if this if this story was taking place, where would it be online? What would the stories be? And a great amount of fondness of well, semi fondness, semi hatred for the English tabloids and knowledge of how they would process this kind of story. And it finishes with drastically redefining protocol as the title of a Vanity Fair piece written about Merlin and Arthur's relationship and. She wrote the entire Vanity Fair piece, and it ah. reads pretty much like something that you would read in a magazine. It's it's impressive. Yeah, and the other the other fic that we have mentioned before that does this, uh, if you have been with us for a while, listeners, is uh, written by the Victors by Speranza, which is uh, one of the most amazing Stargate Atlantis fics out there. I'm not sure that I would agree that it does the same thing. No, not the same I, I think thing, that like but... there are far more Yuri on Ice fix that do this kind of media engagement, whereas written by the victors is far more about Academics. academic historical yeah. engagement. But like it's definitely like a method of writing that is multimedia in a way that you don't really see in pro fic. Yeah, I would love to see more like layers of that. I think that would be fascinating. Red, white, and royal blue has some. Just thank saying. you freya I, yes we're um, sold on it by now yes we know but um one piece actually that i'm reminded of that did kind of do some of this metatextual stuff was the recent sarah gailey story in fireside right oh Stet. Stet. yeah yeah which is pretty a pretty cool use of media but i think that one of the things this fic is trying to convey with those articles is a shift in perception right it's the first gay prince. It's the first gay marriage for the British royalty. And that's reminding me a lot of one of my favorite fics, which Alex, I think, also quite likes, which is A Deeper Season yes. in Vorkosigan verse. Yes. Have we, we haven't we, pulled A Deeper Season, have we? No, we have not. I don't think, have you read it, Freya? I don't recall. No, no, it's one of the ones that you told me to read and I'm sure I would like it, but I haven't read it yet. It is very well, good. Maybe down the road we will. Um, so that fic is space empire reforms to deal with gay emperor yeah and in that one um the setting that they have barriar even though it's like a far future kind of thing barriar got uh cut off from the rest of the universe for a short time and kind of regressed to a medievally feudal society and then now they're they've made contact with the rest of the universe again and they're kind of rushing to catch up to the progress that everybody else has made and their emperor is gay and is supposed to be marrying someone and decides that he wants to marry Miles Vorkos again. And because life choices. Because why wouldn't you want to mar- marry Miles Vorkos again? All smart so people many want to marry reasons. Miles Vorkos. So no, 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 no. Many that's reasons, not no, Alex. No, absolutely not. No. And so, so the culture of Barriar is much more homophobic and resistant to change I think is the key part of it and so they have to enter this relationship with each other and also he's the emperor you know so like there's layers and layers of uh, obligation that they have uh, to their planet to their society to their uh, to the uh, people who live there and they have to go into the relationship with each other with a lot of forethought and deliberate intent. Which I think is a lot more detail than DRP really put into this because in part DRP is taking place in our world 10 years ago. It's interesting to see um, how much it isn't the same today Mm -hmm. as then. 
I feel like a queer royal today would get a different reception to this fic and what it portrays, but I do believe that was an accurate representation of what it would have gotten back in 2009, yes. which is super cool to see. Hmm. And it looks at some things that would still be relevant today, like how can you still be the head of the Church of England? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, if you can't get married in the Church of England. church, And this is this really is another layer on top of those romance tropes to do with the royalty and the commoner, because I think another big part of what makes those appealing is this idea of, I don't care about my obligations, I love you more. I'm not going to marry yeah. the, the perfect political alliance partner that's been picked out for me. I'm not going to marry a perfectly appropriate princess of my own rank. I'm going to marry someone who is not appropriate and that everyone is telling me I shouldn't because my feelings for you are that strong. And once you add a queer story on top of that, it becomes even stronger. It says that in order to marry you, I have to shake the foundations of these organizations and structures into which I have been born. And I don't care. I love you. I just want you. We're going to do it. And that's what the the story of, that's what makes this a really compelling romance story because it's not just uh, a royal marrying a commoner, it's a royal tossing aside the protocols and tossing aside the weight of expectation and history. And that is a story that all of us queers need to read more of. everybody thanks for joining us for this episode of be the serpent a podcast of extremely extremely deep literary merit for those of you who are emerging gasping from the deep dark woods of NaNoWriMo you did it you're free for everyone else I hope this episode inspires you to go back and revisit the cherished tropetastic fix of your fandom youth apologies again for the random bits of static in my audio track we're troubleshooting that mystery at the moment and hopefully I'll have it fixed soon I am not ruling out the possibility that my microphone is haunted. There are no temp polls at all for our next episode, which will air on December 19th, because thanks to the magic of advanced recording, we are currently embroiled in those nano woods, so we'll be discussing that. The good, the bad, the ugly, Alex's spiders gay or wood count, and what we're working on and how many hairs we've pulled out along the way. So if you have a friend who's into schadenfreude, I guess, maybe give them a heads up so they can tune in. As always, we'd love to hear any comments, questions, or general musings that you may have. You can contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, and of course, you can come and hang out in the fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of the podcast website. And by the way, you deserve everything you want, whether that's a prince, a princess, or simply for the paparazzi to leave you in peace. <laughs>